say my name until the city burns and the stars fade away and your scars don't hurt i will hold you till the sun comes crashing down i'm yours until the end of time hey everyone welcome to the restored to more podcast a listener supported podcast that is dedicated to restoring marriages to wholeness in christ after being affected by pornography and sexual brokenness After betraying charity with pornography and unwanted sexual behavior, we had no idea how to rebuild our relationship or even if it was possible to restore what was broken. Today, by God's grace, we have learned how to connect again, laugh again, and rebuild spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy to an even greater experience than before. Our goal is that as you hear our story, the stories of others, and the knowledge needed to heal, you too can have a marriage that is becoming restored to more. I'm yours until the end of time. Update everyone. Course one registrations are back open. Whoop, whoop. This is an eight week course starting Thursday, September 14th. That is designed to help you and your spouse start the journey to becoming restored to more. It will be led by R2M certified coaches, Cody and Michelle Larson. We will be focusing on how to cultivate safety and trust, healthy communication, deal with triggers, and begin to discover how God can use crisis to create closeness. You can see all the details on our website and can register today at www.restoredtomore.com slash courses. Also, if you have appreciated this podcast, a great way to say thank you is leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. These reviews help more people find the podcast and experience hope and healing. Say my name until the city. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Restored to More. You're going to be so blessed by our guest today, Dr. Julie Slattery. Dr. Julie Slattery is a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and the president co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. She earned her college degree at Wheaton College, an MA in psychology from Biola University, and an MS and a doctorate degree in clinical psychology from Florida Institute of Technology. From 2008 to 2012, she served at Focus on the Family, writing, teaching, and co-hosting the Focus on the Family broadcast. In 2012, she left Focus on the Family to start Authentic Intimacy, a ministry devoted to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. She's the author of 10 books, amazing, and the host of the weekly podcast, Java with Julie. She resides in Akron, Ohio with her husband, Mike, and her three sons. Welcome, Julie, to the Restored to More podcast. We're yeah, so glad thanks so much you. for having me. We would love to hear about this journey. Obviously, like the gospel-centered sexuality, it's not something you go and get a college degree for. No. It's not something you even maybe anticipate forever doing with your life. No. How did you get to where you're at today? Well, it definitely wasn't something I planned for. So as you read my bio, my background's in psychology, and so I always had a heart just for helping Christians navigate life and just people navigating pain and yeah. just kind of how do we make sense of the world and relationships. Mm-hmm. And so... Of course, sexual conversations come up in marriage counseling and counseling with women, and that was really a lot of what I did early on. And then, as you mentioned, being at Focus on the Family, kind of taking a step more towards a teaching role Mm -hmm. of how do we take principles and just give people good principles to live by. But while I was at Focus on the Family, um, personally, God just took me through a really deep, intensive time with him for about a year where I just was drawn to seek his face and Mm. kind of undone just by his presence in a way that I had never experienced before. 
And through that season, he just laid a burden on my heart for sexual brokenness. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it was just unmistakable uh, that God was calling me to speak into the pain that particularly so many women were walking Mm -hmm. with around sexual issues. And uh, he did some pretty miraculous things to open up doors and really confirm that that was a new calling for me. And so I started Authentic Intimacy in 2012, and it truly has just been a a faith journey. I feel like I never know what I'm doing. I just kind of show up and he provides the rest. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing that, especially with our ministry being so young, Mm. your testimony to us of just like having that faith. Yeah. Taking a step out because I feel like I mean what you did was like a dream job. Mm-hmm. I mean working with focus on yeah. the family. One it was of my the dream biggest job. Ministry. So I mean, wow, leaving that. What was that mm-hmm. like for you to kind of step out in faith and just know God was going to take care of that? Yeah, it was bizarre because mm-hmm. when I was in my early twenties, I probably would have even told my husband like my dream job is to mm-hmm. work at Focus on the Family because wow. Doctor Dobson. Mm-hmm. I'm older than you guys, a lot older, but he was the mentor for me, mm-hmm. like kind of the the pioneer and some conversations around psychology and the family and the Christian faith. And so uh, I didn't seek a job there. I was mostly like a stay-at-home mom doing some counseling on the side in Akron, Ohio. And they reached out to me out of the blue and just asked me if I'd be interested in working for them. And so I knew that when God called me there, it was like totally him. Mm -hmm. It was uh, like, it was just like, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. I never filled out an application. Wow. And so uh, when God calls you somewhere, you have the confidence mm. to, to battle the difficulties that come with that. Mm. And so when I knew that he was calling me away from there, it was that same sort of thing of mm. he brought me to focus really in mm. hindsight to train me mm. in uh, media wow. and mm. teaching and also to train me in what it is to be in public Christian ministry and mm. some of the challenges and struggles of that. And so uh, when I look back, it's like, wow, like he equipped me for those mm. years for what I'm doing today. And I, I think about as good as it is to have your dream job, it's even better to have mm. a calling. Hmm, and uh, so he asked me to leave my dream to step into a calling, which mm. has wow. been just uh, difficult, but a great joy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What is authentic intimacy? For maybe some of our listeners who aren't familiar with it, how would you describe it? What do you guys offer? Yeah. Um, I think the best way to describe it is two words that I put together mm-hmm. that people think, what? but it's sexual discipleship. Mm. And it's really uh, taking a discipleship approach Mm. to sexual issues. And we really started the ministry thinking about women. And a lot of our content, our podcast, our books, and uh, webinars, and a lot of it, if you engage with us, you're going to hear my voice. It's a woman's perspective. Mm. Uh, We we tend towards talking about women's issues. Mm. But we found over the years that it's not just women's ministry. Mm. A lot of guys are listening to the podcast, mm. engaging with us. Uh, it used to be that everywhere I went and spoke, it was to a women's group. Mm. And for the last three years or so, I rarely do women's groups anymore. It's like the whole church invite wow. wants to be there. So yeah. God's opened up the door for it to be for men and women, uh, but it's really navigating sexual issues mm. with the focus of mm. where's God in the middle of this? What does wholeness look like? Mm. And it's discipleship because it's not a program. Mm. You can kind of drop in at any point. Mm. And it's ongoing conversation Mm. about everything related to sexuality. Mm. And uh, again, where is my journey with the Lord in the midst of what I might be walking through? Yeah. Okay, like this is a topic that, again, like we don't get to have a lot on the podcast. And a Mm. lot of people aren't just talking about this. Yeah. Especially even in the Christian world, it's unfortunate. We talk a lot about how 
if we had just known it had healthy sexuality, what does it look like? Or in the marriage, mm-hmm. in the context of marriage, you give an amazing talk at this summit right now. Mm-hmm. We're sitting at SIL, Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit, here in San Antonio, Texas, which mm-hmm. is so cool with you. And and just the, your perspective. And I guess the question that we had is, you talk about this narrative of sex, that there's yeah. a bigger narrative mm-hmm. here. I'd love for you to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think we've got to recognize we all have a narrative of sex, mm-hmm. whether you're aware of it or not. We all have a backstory yeah. of why we think sex matters so true. and what we think sexual wholeness looks like. And so uh, in general, people will fall into one of a couple narratives. There's the predominant narrative of our culture, which says that sex is all about your personal expression, mm-hmm. your identity, what you want, your personal fulfillment. And there are a lot of Christians that are working with that narrative and they just kind of put God somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Like God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be sexually fulfilled. And so they're navigating marriage they're navigating life with that narrative of I should have what I want. And if I don't have satisfying sex or free expression of my sexuality, then I'm going to be broken. Mm. Mm. And that's a narrative that we hear every day in every show you watch Mm -hmm. and every song you listen to in the news. It's now being integrated into even elementary school curriculum. Mm -hmm. And it's really rooted in humanism uh, of we need to have the full expression of our humanity to flourish. Mm. And so that's the predominant narrative that, again, even if you grew up in the church, you got a lot of that. Uh, The second narrative is what might be called like the purity narrative or a traditional church narrative, which is sex matters because it's a way that you're obedient to God. Mm. And your moral standing and your spiritual standing is all based on whether or not you have sex before marriage Mm. or whether or not you engage in certain sexual behaviors that the church say are wrong. Mm. And uh, while there's truth embedded in some of that narrative, it's very simplistic and reductionistic. Mm -hmm. And what we see coming out of that narrative is a lot of shame, Mm -hmm. secrets, because man, if I acknowledge that I'm struggling with this, or I've done this, uh, or I feel this way, the church will reject me, or God will reject me, and I I don't feel like God's in the midst of the struggle with me. I just have to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's that, that feeling of I'm isolated, mm-hmm. maybe, and people just even leave the Christian faith because there's no room mm-hmm. for struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, most people, particularly if you're from a religious setting, you have this uh, combating of these two narratives. Yeah. And when the church narrative feels too shaming, you revert to the cultural narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're seeing that happen a lot. And so, what I'm really passionate about is saying there's actually a third narrative mm. that most of us don't know about, but it's embedded in the pages of the Bible mm. that really says that sex is first and foremost a story about God's covenant love. Mm. And that if we read the Bible, the Bible is actually a book that is in between two weddings. Mm. Mm. So, the first wedding is in Genesis chapter two, and it's before sin entered the world. And there's a man and a woman in a garden, and they're naked. And there's no shame around their nakedness or their sexuality. And Genesis says that for this reason, the man and the woman, the man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and becomes one flesh. Mm. That's in Genesis at the very beginning of the Bible. And then you fast forward all the way to the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation, and there's another marriage, there's another wedding, Mm. but it's between Christ and his bride. Mm. 
And so the whole Bible is a story of that first wedding kind mm. of setting the scene for the second wedding, mm. that mm. God wants intimacy with his people. Mm. Uh, and that our sexuality is a metaphor, it's a mm. physical way that we experience elements that teach us about God's love for us, mm. which mm. I just kind of gave you a summary of something that, yeah. to be honest, I've been trying to unpack for the last <laughs> probably seven or eight years. Yeah. Um, so for people that are first hearing that, like, well, what did what? you just say? Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. They can, they can rewind podcasts and listen yeah. to yes. that again and yes. again and again. Yes. And of course, find out all of your materials you've created. Mm-hmm. I mean, 10 books and even more things that you're constantly creating to learn about that. Mm-hmm. That changes the perspective of sex mm-hmm. when you learn about that. Because yeah. I, we agree, Cher and I both grew up in, in very... Um, uh, in families that were very, they didn't share much about sex. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk about sex. The church didn't talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And and so there's such a lack of education about that, but even a lack of perspective yeah. about when we look at it through the lens of the Bible and those pages and understanding, okay, wait, sex is important to God. It's yeah. not something you don't talk about. It's not something that you, you can you just do freely at the same time. And I just think what you're saying is so, it, it's such a need. It's such a need to be discovered by mm-hmm. Christians and to learn how that changes our view. When you talk about everything that you just shared, I feel this sense of excitement and it's a cause. Yet at the same time, I feel in our day and age and culture, there's going to be resistance, Hmm. like major resistance for being bold in our belief of gospel-centered sexuality because there's this acceptance, you know, factor that people are like, well, we accept all, love all, and Mm -hmm. we don't judge. And Mm -hmm. so how do you stay strong in your beliefs in this? Yeah. Well, first of all, I do accept all and love all. Totally. Totally. Because that's not my role. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not the judge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think we've got to understand that there's work that, God does, Mm. and there's work that he calls us to do. Mm. And he never calls us to change people's minds. Mm. He never Mm. calls us to fight the culture. Mm. He calls us to be abiding in him Mm. and to be transformed by him. Mm. And that in the overflow of our life, uh, there is the wisdom and the courage and the discernment to have conversations that, yes, can be very difficult, but it's not a matter of, I need to convert you, or mm. I need to convince you of this or that. Mm. It's the overflow of what God's doing in our own hearts. Mm. And I think a lot of talk around biblical sexuality has not been that way. Mm. Uh, even as we look at the church, there's so much evidence of hypocrisy mm. of people that would preach against sexual sin while secretly engaging in it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Jesus would come in and say, mm you guys are hypocrites. Mm. Like you're pointing everybody else's sin out, but you're not dealing with your own. Mm. And so I think when we take the posture, both as the church at large, but first and foremost as individuals, that it's the work that God needs to do in and through me first. Mm. And it's through that transformation, like your own story, where it's like, you're not trying to judge couples. You're saying, Mm -hmm. if you want hope, if you want help, we're happy to share the things that God is doing in our Mm. lives. That's a different approach. Mm. Yeah. So true. So how does somebody begin to learn about what God's view is of sexuality, right? Because you're saying it's embedded in the, in the Bible. I think a lot mm-hmm. of our generation doesn't even know how to read the Bible very well, yeah. you know? And so yeah. we're, we're intimidated by the Bible. Yeah. So instead of saying like, oh, just pick up the Bible and read it, I'm like, okay, well, you know, what would you say somebody are, because I think there's a lot of confusion. 
Yep. I just think we're confused. I think yeah. even Sharon and I have gone through our own stages of confusion about what is sexuality and what's healthy and what's godly and what does God say and what does our culture say mm-hmm. and what do our pastors preach and what do our parents say and and so how would somebody start learning about the things that you're talking about? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, it's recognizing that the Bible is a story. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about sex in the Bible, you always hear the sermons on a few verses. Yeah. Like here's so here's what not to do. Here's the do nots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then every now and then somebody's awkward enough to say, but in Song of Solomon, yeah. this is hot sex between yeah. America. And it's like, okay, like that's a disconnect. <laughs> yes. yeah. Um and it's important to read the Bible as a story. Mm. And most of us don't know how to do that. We don't know how to make sense of the Old Testament. We don't even know what's in the Old Testament. And so we just keep reading the same passage over and over again. But it's like watching a Netflix series, Mm. but you only watch two episodes. Mm. You don't know who the characters are. You Mm. don't know the story that's being told, and you're going to take it out of context. Mm. I I think one of the most helpful tools is the Bible Project. Mm. I don't know if you two know about it, but what I love about the Bible Project is it tells you the story Mm. of each book of the Bible and how it fits within the larger story. Mm. And it does it in an interactive way, a video Mm. way. Um, so I think that's like a tool that can help transform yeah. how you're reading the Bible yeah. and making sense of things that seem very abstract. Sure. But the other thing I would say is, you know, you mentioned the word education a few times. You mentioned that I wasn't educated in this, if the church would only do more education. But I think it's more important to actually look for discipleship mm. because education is I want you to take this course. I want mm. you to learn this. Sure. Discipleship is help me make sense of my life. Yeah. Where is God in the midst of my sexual trauma? Yeah. And where's God in the midst of my brokenness? Yeah. And why isn't marriage what I thought it would be? Mm. And a course isn't going to teach you that. Discipleship teaches you sure. that. Mm. And that's why I'm so passionate about a discipleship model yeah. as a ministry, but also encouraging discipleship relationships where we're learning together and pursuing the Lord uh, together on that journey. Yeah. Okay, so that's awesome. And then I think about, okay, if we weren't ministry leaders in this space, I don't think I would know anybody in my life who I could go to for discipleship and healthy God, Christ-centered sexuality. Yeah. Like, I'm like, who do I know? I mean, I think I have people now in this space because we're in this ministry, but I'm thinking, if I heard this podcast, I would be like, uh, okay, that sounds great, Julie, but there's nobody in my life that I can go to and talk about this openly because everybody makes us so awkward. Yeah. So how does somebody even find somebody who's willing to disciple them in this? Do they yeah. get discipled through a book? Do they get discipled through a person? Is it through a program? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> so a discipleship isn't one person walking with another person through the whole of their life. Discipleship mm-hmm. is so many different tools that all come together. And so in your own journey, you can point to particular people that God brought just when you needed them to provide a piece of the discipleship that might have looked like mentoring, that might have looked like counseling. But there's also been times where you were discipled in community. God has probably used books and resources. And so it's not a one thing. Hmm. It's recognizing, okay, we're messed up in this area. God has something to say. And I want to walk towards what that is, mm-hmm. and I want to be authentic. I want to be with people who are real. Mm-hmm. And some of what I found is, first of all, we create resources to help guide yeah. that journey, but but also that if you just step out and say, this is my story, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what I need help with, you're going to find other people that are being like, 
thank God you said that because sure. I felt alone. Mm-hmm. I, whenever I speak uh, at conferences, I typically will do an hour Q and A session mm-hmm. where people can text in any question they want, mm-hmm. and without fail, wherever I go, we get flooded with these text messages, mm-hmm. hundreds, wow. uh, and they represent so much pain. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that I've noticed is the questions themselves minister. Mm. Mm. Because when you're looking around at all these people, often in a church that look like they have it together, and you're hearing question after question that represents pain and brokenness and confusion, you start to realize, like, I'm not alone. There's Mm. a great need. And I'm actually in community with people that I didn't know had the same questions Mm. I have. And so what you all are doing is providing a context uh, to say, I'm sure other people have these experiences and questions. Let's create uh, an environment where we can actually pursue the Lord together. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think it's so cool. Is there a way for couples to, they can go on your website and learn about the different groups that you guys are hosting and yeah. you have facilitators, right? That lead yeah. those groups. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was couples who had other couple friends, yeah. how would they use your material and kind of explore those questions together with other couple friends and things like that? What's the way they could do that? Yeah. Well, so an easy way um, would be, I have a book called Rethinking Sexuality and we have a, I think it's a seven week curriculum that you can use where it's like a 15 or 20 minute video of me teaching and then discussion questions. And a lot of couples are using those mm. uh, within uh, their their small groups or church groups yeah. or recovery groups. And it's really the bigger picture of sexuality, that mm. narrative, the bigger yeah. narrative of sexuality. And so that might be one way, uh, yeah. but also right now I'm working on writing a book for couples. Mm. Uh, it's not ready yet. I'm mm. still cooking it, but, uh, but that's my hope in yeah probably this time next year to have that available where it's really walking through sexual issues from this larger worldview perspective and not just the technique kind of thing that we find in a lot of books. How important would you say it is for somebody who has experienced past sexual brokenness to really dig deep and heal from it so that they can just move on with their life? Because I feel like, Past sexual brokenness, if you don't heal from it, really bleeds into other areas of your yeah. life if you don't overcome it. Can yeah. you kind of talk about that a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely. So sexual wounds uh, create the opportunity for the enemy mm-hmm. to plant lies. Mm-hmm. And that's really the greatest devastation. We can talk about like how the body remembers trauma and PTSD and things like that that are real and need to be addressed. But the deeper work is what lies were planted in my heart when that happened. Mm. And I really believe at some level we all have sexual brokenness. Mm-hmm. And now there are really uh, obvious examples of what that might look like if your partner has cheated on you mm. or you've been through betrayal, uh, if you have been involved in a sexual addiction. Like that's obvious. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. we can name that. Or sexual trauma in childhood. Mm-hmm. But even the messages that we received growing up mm. – uh, the silence that we experienced mm. around sexuality gives us a warped perspective of our bodies, mm. about God and sex. And so what I found is that everyone has sexual brokenness, and it's always represented in lies. Mm. Uh, we're told that the enemy is a liar and that that's his native language. And if we look at where he's worked, you're always going to see that calling card of lies. Mm. 
And so the healing really comes from acknowledging and exposing those lies because you said it flows over into everything. Here's the thing. A lie, if it's believed long enough, feels a lot like the truth. And so it begins to color our reality. Like I can't trust men or I'll never be enough. Uh, or this is my fault. And you don't even know that you believe those lies and that you're living out of Mm. them. And so a lot of the healing from sexual brokenness is actually that looking in where is the enemy planted lies Mm. that I'm now living by? Mm. And what is the truth that God wants to replace those lies with? Yeah, it's so good. I mean, I I relate to that with recovery. You know, Mm -hmm. I think for me, I really started finding healing when I was like, what are the lies Mm -hmm. that led to sexual wounds Mm -hmm. and that led to sexual acting out Mm -hmm. because it really wasn't ever about the pornography. Yeah. It really wasn't ever about masturbation or the Mm -hmm. orgasm. Mm -hmm. Those were only things I I was using to cope with the wounds. And a lot of those came from lies. And so the triggers that came in my life of maybe not getting picked for a team Mm -hmm. or, or somebody saying a hurtful thing about the way I was leading worship or music, Mm -hmm. those only enforced an earlier lie that I'm not enough or mm-hmm. I'm not loved or I'm mm-hmm. not good enough or I'm not wanted. And, and those produced yeah. unwanted sexual behavior in my life. Yeah. But that's why I hear you saying they're connected and it's uncovering what are those lies. Mm-hmm. Would you say there's certain lies right now that, that we are believing as a people about sexual, about, about maybe there's a, a sexual um, belief system that you can pinpoint are the top things that our mm-hmm. culture is believing yeah, yeah it does. I think one would be sex equals love. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of women believe. Mm. Uh, in order to have a relationship, I need to engage in sex. And that even follows you into marriage where it's like, if I don't, if we're not having sex, then my husband doesn't love me. Um, so that's, that's one because mm. sex has become so intertwined with intimacy that we don't know that actually you can have sex without intimacy and you can be intimate mm-hmm. without it being sexualized. Yeah. Um, so that's one. I think another one is I am what I feel. Mm. And that's a huge one in our culture that whatever desires I experience, I have to act out on those because they're part of who I am. When in reality, we know in other parts of our lives, we experience all kinds of things that we don't act on and that don't define us. Uh, And so Mm. if we ate the way we always wanted to eat, you know, it was like we wouldn't be healthy, but we learned just because I want a cheeseburger and fries right now doesn't mean I should have that. And uh, we learn that self-discipline in a lot of arenas of life. But when it comes to sexuality, part of the cultural narrative is that it's unhealthy to have self-control or to even be thoughtful about where our desires are coming from. Um, and so I think that's a huge one. Mm-hmm. You know, again, when you get, yeah. when you get married, it's the feeling like what I want, I deserve, I should have it. Therefore my spouse must provide it. And we can even use the Bible to sort of reinforce that dysfunctional belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, a lie that's so embedded in our thinking that it's hard to even tease it out. Yeah. And I feel like we'll never fit the puzzle the way that the puzzle was supposed to look like, right? You shared an amazing, beautiful analogy this week about we're trying to fit all these puzzle pieces together without seeing the box and the picture. Can you share that? Because it's so good. Yeah, so I like to do jigsaw puzzles. And the way I do jigsaw puzzles is... I always refer to the front of the box. That's the picture that I'm trying to create. 
And each puzzle piece gets context when I look at the whole picture. Mm. And so your narrative, your sexual narrative is the front of the puzzle box. Mm. And so if you're working from the cultural narrative, you're going to try to make sense of everything in terms of what will fulfill me and what will make me happy, what is freedom of expression. If you're working from that church narrative, you're going to be like, is God mad at me? Mm. Does he hate me? Am I really mm. saved? But the true narrative, the real front of the puzzle box is that picture of Christ in the church and how he loves his bride mm-hmm. and how because of his love for us, like we have spiritual union with him. Mm-hmm. And some people get freaked out by that, but I'm just going to say this, like, and this is not sexualized, but like I have intercourse with God every day mm-hmm. and it's not physical. It's I pray to him. I want to see his face. Mm. I want the spirit mm. to Im- be alive mm. in me and to bear fruit in me. Yeah. And so the physical picture of a husband and wife celebrating their vows through physical intercourse mm. is a, is a is a physical picture of the spiritual way that God invites us into mm. becoming one with him. Mm. You know, Jesus said apart from me if you don't abide in me you can do nothing. Mm. And so he prayed on and on. I pray that you would be one with me and one mm. with each mm. other the way that I'm one with the Father. Mm. Yeah. And so this picture of intimacy is supposed to be something mm. that teaches us about intimacy with God, mm. which because of our teaching in the church, we have separated sex from God so much mm. that people get freaked out when I even yeah. use that language. Yeah. But it was never meant to be separated. Mm. It was always meant to be integrated, that the physical reminds us of the spiritual. Mm. So what you're saying, if I, I, you want to say anything about that? Yes, big time. Well, it just really reminded me of in our own recovery, when we are really trying to, you know, have sexual intimacy, there is so many lies. I mean, you're talking Mm -hmm. about the enemy, sexual brokenness. He's trying to get into your marriage bedroom. Uh, He wants it. He wants it to be demolished, you know? And so now that we are um, coming together sexually again, we have triggers, you know, images that pop into our brain. And I remember uh, in the middle of intercourse, Clinton looked at me and he's like, I just need to start praying to the Lord right now. And I'm like, what? (laughs) You know, but it's in the beginning, it felt very like, wow, this is really interesting. We're inviting God into our sexual intercourse right now, but God has always been there, you know, Mm -hmm. and we needed him in the moments to redefine our sexual bedroom because if it wasn't going to be him, then it was going to be something else. And, and these lies, and we didn't want to listen to that, but it seemed so awkward and weird in the beginning. But because, like you're saying, though, it's just not talked about a lot. It's not talked about to invite God into your deepest, intimate moments, you know? Mm. And what you talked about just reminded me of that because I'm like, oh my gosh, I just don't think we're talking about that enough. No, we're not. It's almost like when I started to connect these dots, it was like, yeah, you know, I really feel like God looks away mm. when we're doing anything mm. sexual. Like, mm-hmm. Gabriel, tell me when they're done. <laughs> yeah. But that's not biblical. It's not. not, I mean, when David said in Psalm 139, Mm. Where can I go from your presence? Mm. There's not a thought in my mind that you don't know. Mm. Before I speak a word, you know it intimately. Mm. Now, let me tell you something that will really blow your mind. (laughs) That word know that he uses in Psalm 139 is the Hebrew word yada. And it's the same word in the Hebrew that's used for sexual intimacy between a husband and wife. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, my question is, as couples learn about this, the gospel-centered sexuality, 
what does that do to their sexual relationship? Yeah. Like what do you, what are the actual practical outcomes of what this looks like? Yeah. So first of all, it helps you make sense of what you're experiencing hmm. because the front of that puzzle box not only tells us what wholeness is, mm. but it tells us why brokenness in our sexuality is so painful and profound. Mm. Why you can't just cheat on your spouse and have it be nothing. Mm. Uh, because God created sex to represent this covenant that is so painful when it's broken uh, and why there's shame around sexuality. And so it gives us context for, wow, yeah, this makes sense, Mm -hmm. why the enemy would attack it so much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the first thing it does. Second of all, it gives us a picture of what wholeness looks like. And wholeness isn't just the absence of sin. It is working towards the fullness of that metaphor. And so we're on this journey that is not going to end on the side of heaven. Hmm. It's ongoing. It's calling us to maturity, hmm. to know God, to be vulnerable, uh, to, to be in the healing process. Uh, so that's some of what it gives it. But I think for me, the biggest thing was it gave me a reason to fight. Hmm. Because when I started this ministry, like I had been married... Uh, not quite 20 years, maybe like 17, 18 years. And for the majority of my marriage, sex was really bad. Hmm. Uh, I had physical pain during sex. Mm. So I kind of just adopt this attitude. Like I have to meet my husband's Mm. needs, but it's never going to be great for Mm. me. Uh, My husband had struggled with different aspects of pornography. And so sex represented all this pain for me. Hmm. And I just thought, well, this is kind of the best it's going to get now. Even though I'm in ministry, I have all these clinical degrees, yeah. nobody helped me. Wow. And so I didn't know where to go with that pain. And when I saw this bigger picture of what sex was meant to be, it put a fire in my belly like, mm. I want to fight. Mm. Like if this is Satan keeping us from the goodness mm-hmm. of God, yeah. I'm not letting him reign in my mm. bedroom anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, And I get so hurt and frustrated mm. by what I see happening in the world sexually yeah. And I can't control that, but you know what I can control? I can control whether or not Satan has a place in my heart. Yeah. And so it really made me like, no, I'm I'm not mm. putting up with this. Like we're gonna get healing, we're gonna experience the fullness of what God designed because this is a spiritual terrain mm. and it's worth fighting for. Mm. And uh it kept me from being passive anymore yeah. because mm. I understood that God is pleased mm. when we fight for intimacy the way he designed it mm. to be. Mm. That is such a fight that I hope women listening to this want to get behind because that's the fight that I got behind in recovery. I said, the enemy is no longer going to have a foothold in my marriage, in my relationship and in my bedroom. And how I can take ground again is by doing recovery, by fighting for my husband or fighting with my husband rather than at him and redefining our marriage bedroom because the enemy wants nothing more than to keep you trapped, triggered, and shame, and denial, and grief, and anger, and how you make him so angry, and you stomp on him every time you wake up in the morning, is when you say, no, Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to fight back, 
I've got yeah. the tools. God didn't create me to live in bondage forever. He didn't create me to live in shame forever. He created me for freedom and he created an amazing sex life. That's why we're so passionate about mm-hmm. our ministry because we want couples to know that you don't have to just survive after recovery. Yeah. You can thrive. That's why we want couples to be excited about healing, excited about recovery, not just we're going to do it to do it because it's the right thing to do. No, the enemy, you crush him when you're able to stand up and be like, look at what we've done. I have like goosebumps. I'm like, you know, like I get so excited (laughs) about that because that's a fight to be excited for on this journey. I can tell you're a little fired up about that. I am. I get so passionate about that. I love your passion, babe. It's amazing. And, and I, I, I really hope that what we run into a lot in our, in our ministry is that it really does take the wife putting Mm -hmm. down her foot and saying enough is enough. Mm -hmm. The guys really don't, 95% 95% of guys, in my opinion, this is not my opinion of based mm-hmm. off what we've seen, get into recovery programs because their wife says enough is enough. Yeah. And unfortunately, it takes that. I wish more men were rising up saying, you know what, I want to work on this as an issue. And there is some of that. And I commend those guys like crazy. But it takes the wife saying, I will not allow this in our relationship anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you don't change, this is going to be a big issue and be a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that more, unfortunately, most couples wait until yeah. it gets so bad, until it gets really bad with the acting out, until it's really affecting their lives, until they get caught or they get put in jail or something goes on. And that we just are like advocates for like, you don't have to wait for it to get to that point. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is God intended our sexuality to be an image of oneness with him, yeah. that we can actually have that in our relationships and in our marriages. Mm-hmm. And if that's not happening, there needs to be issues that can be addressed today. Yeah. And so what would you say to encourage the the women or the husbands that this is worth fighting for? Like, mm-hmm. how do you just encourage them in that? Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, just knowing that they're not alone mm. is one thing. I think encouraging them that there is so much more. Yeah. Whatever sex you're having, whatever intimacy looks like in your marriage, you're cheating yourself. The enemy is mm-hmm. cheating you. Wow. Um, and then I think also just recognizing that this is part of a larger battle. You know, one thing that really struck me is that Satan's destruction of holy sexuality always requires human consent. Mm. He can't destroy it on his own. Mm. He has to trick us into being part of it. Mm-hmm. And that even my complacency about issues of sexuality in my own life are feeding into that battle mm-hmm. and they're giving him fire. And mm-hmm. so wow. for me, and I think for a lot of women, there has to be something greater to fight for than mm-hmm. just ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like when we yeah. think about our kids, we think about yeah. their future, mm-hmm. but then when we think about, wow, I want to be part of something bigger mm-hmm. than me and guys too, like you were yeah. made to be part of a bigger story mm-hmm. than yourself. percent. And when you see it, not as just, trying to fix my marriage, but you see it as God calling you to be a warrior mm. in this huge yeah. battle of holiness versus evil. And that right now, like our complacency is complicit yeah. in Satan's design. Like, yeah. I think that's the message that we need to hear. Mm. And then also that there's victory. I know Clinton, in your own story, you tried, Yeah, you tried to fight and, there was, it felt like failure after failure. Yeah. And what I've learned in my walk with the Lord, and I struggle with different things, but that God hears the cry of the person mm. who tries and fails. Mm. And he doesn't meet us when we wanted him to. Yeah. Um, but he does answer that prayer yeah. in his timing. He does bring the right resource. Yeah. He does bring the help. And don't give up. Yeah. Mm. There's so many stories in the gospel that Jesus told about 
the person who persistently prays mm. and who is so desperate that you're willing to do anything God asks you to. And that's yeah. the place he wants us all to be in. And that's yeah. the place where there's true life change. Yeah. So good. So powerful. I have one more question if we have time. And that is, I feel like you have a vision for yeah. like where you see this, where you see authentic intimacy, gospel-centered sexuality. Can you, do you have a vision for where you see this going and our culture? Oh, I don't know if I have a vision. I feel like, I feel like God gives me enough to see the step ahead of me. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I tell my team at Authentic Embassy, you you guys know I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Like, like I learned in that season when the Lord called me to seek him more deeply, the difference between having a plan and asking Mm -hmm. God to bless it versus Mm -hmm. waking up every day and saying, Lord, what do you have for me? Like even this morning praying, Mm -hmm. Lord, what appointments do you have for me? What Mm -hmm. work do you have where I can bless somebody else or receive Mm -hmm. blessing from them? And I feel that way with authentic intimacy and this message. I can only see as far as Hmm. tomorrow. Mm. Um, But here's what I know. Uh, There is an unseen battle around all of this. Mm. And that when we speak the truth with grace and boldness, God works. Mm. I can't explain Mm. why he does. I've got all the clinical degrees that Mm. I can explain things about psychology and how we heal. But the miracles I see when we just speak the word of God defy what we see happening in Mm -hmm. psychology. And so I know that if we can be bold enough uh, to speak the truth and to share our own testimonies and to give God glory, even if the culture around us gets darker, we're still going to see lives redeemed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We believe that so much. Yes, we do. And it's so good to hear that. I mean, yeah, I think maybe what you were saying, Chair, is we see... Absolutely. This could change the yes, world. Yes. This could change the world for the church. It could change the, it could yes. impact the secular world out yes. there because I believe that it is the loving kindness that leads to repentance. Yeah. It's changed lives yeah. that lead to people seeing Jesus. Yeah. And we know your heart is so much for Jesus and yeah. it's our heartbeat too. And we believe that as we engage in gospel centered sexuality, we become a billboard of yes. walking people, of people that are walking in freedom yeah. in our sexuality. And yes, it's a progress. We don't ever, it's never like we arrive nope. this side of heaven but we also can progress in healing Mm -hmm. and the more that we heal and that we progress in our relationships and even in our own selves understanding what does that mean for me and we talk about it we are we that you immediately become so i don't want to say the word counter-cultural but you become you you become counter-secularism for sure and you're this person that has achieved a level of freedom that is unknown to the world around us. Mm -hmm. And that alone, when we give glory to God and say, that's by the grace of Jesus and by understanding his word, people are like, well, that's the Jesus I want to know. Because I I do believe that people long for Jesus. They just don't know it. They don't understand those concepts of who Jesus really is and how much he allows us to live in freedom in our own sexuality in in a relationship. And I'm just grateful for the work you're doing. Mm. Well, thank you. And the other thing I know is that God didn't give me this job to do. Mm. He gave his body the job to do. And we have to work together as a body Mm. and support each other and love each other well and encourage each other. Uh, And I know that your heart is to be part of that, but also to encourage other individuals and couples to say, count me in. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in the middle of my own brokenness, Mm -hmm. but I want to be part of proclaiming who who God is Mm -hmm. and that he really does heal and there's hope. 
Yeah. So good. Can you just tell our listeners one more time about how they can learn about what you guys are doing and how to find out more about the resources you've created? Yeah. The best way is to go to AuthenticIntimacy.com. You can find our podcast there, which is called Java with Julie, which you two have been on um, and studies and whatever else we're doing. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Julie. We are so grateful for you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm yours until the end of time. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the upcoming course. You can also connect with us on the ask us anything page at restored Also quick note, all the work at restored to more Inc, including this podcast is made possible by our donors and financial partners. We wouldn't be here without those who have generously given to the cause of restoration. If you ever feel led to give, you can do so on the donate page on our website. Say my name.